Welcome back to Sustainably Influenced, the podcast guiding you through the minefield of sustainability with your hosts, Charlotte Williams and Bianca Foley. Hello, welcome back to another episode of Sustainably Influenced. In today's episode, we're going to be discussing something that I think we don't talk about enough, maybe. Jewellery. I say we don't talk about enough. I speak about jewellery all the time. But we're going to be speaking about the diamond industry and how sustainable it can really be. Can it be sustainable? Hmm, That's a good question. Yeah, I thought when we were discussing topics when we were planning this season, it really stood out to me because it's not something that we would normally talk about. Obviously, we've had an episode, I think, in season one, Mm. with a jewellery brand and we got to know a little bit about it but that wasn't fine jewellery and gemstones or diamonds it was gold and like acrylic and stuff and painting that they do with their jewellery but this is all like fine jewellery I Mm want to talk about so it could be quite an interesting episode I think and so today's article is one from Forbes and you love a Forbes article I do (laughs) Which we all love. Like I love Forbes, but you put me to shame because my last article was like some random like, builders <laughs> builders blog. No, it was a, it was, was very a, handy. It was, it very... was a reputable building magazine. <laughs> love that. So today's article is called "New Sustainable Diamond Certification Standard Provides Scientific Proof of Origin and Builds Consumer Trust." It was published last summer, so 2021, by Kyle Roderick. This article I found really interesting because it talks a lot about transparency, traceability and accountability, three big things that we do love Mm. to speak about here on the podcast. So transparency is integral in every part of the supply chain for a product, but even more so, I think, when it comes to things like mining. Yeah. It's, especially within the diamond industry in particular, they've got a lot to answer for, I think. When it comes to, th- like, especially like things like ethics and exploitation, we know that there's exploitation in certain industries in certain areas of production. But it's how that, that exploitation is managed, I think, is a big deal. Mm. And it's all well and good knowing it, but if you're not doing something about it, then that's where the problem really lies. The worst impact is experienced on the communities who are actually doing the mining, and we'll talk a little bit about that. In more recent years, there's been an increase in the demand for lab-grown diamonds, which we'll discuss later. Mm-hmm. We're going to be speaking to the founder of Kimai today, one of the founders of Kimai, which is a lovely jewellery company. And we, I mean, one of us has a very personal <laughs> relationship with them. My engagement ring is from Kimai, but I didn't choose it, obviously. My fiancé did, but he chose very well because that's where I would have wanted my ring from. So. Yeah. It's a beautiful, it's a lab-grown diamond, isn't it? It is, yeah. Yeah, and it's lovely. Absolutely beautiful. It's actually currently filthy. If (laughs) Sydney saw, from I saw the ring today, she'd be like, Charlotte, we've discussed this. Clean your ring. You need to get one of those vibrating ones that takes all the dirt away and it just cleans it with water. Ooh. It's like a little vibrator plate thing. I've just been doing it with a toothbrush and some... Washing up liquid. I'm not going to say yes or no because I don't know, but I just wanted the tech. Mm. (laughs) I wanted the tech stuff. But let's talk about some stats that I saw in the article. For each carat of natural diamond mined industrially, companies move up to 250 tonnes of earth, use 127 gallons of water and release 143 pounds of carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. For one diamond? 
Yeah, for each carrot of natural. For each carrot? Yeah. Oh, my God. So... So not even one diamond, because if it's... You could have a diamond that's like... Think think reasonably what a 20 carat diamond is a very different diamond to a one carat diamond. So... Oh, my God. 20 carat diamond. If you own that, wow. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) But that's insane. 250 tonnes of earth for one tiny carat. That's a tiny stone. It's a tiny stone. Bloody hell. Not saying they're not pretty and beautiful and all of yeah, that but stuff. Yeah, like, but it's a lot of in work. comparison for the for the, exactly the enormity of the project that you have to undertake to actually mine that for what happens and the the impact on the environment is just it's mind blowing. Yeah. So 127 gallons of water. That puts the denim industry to, uh, that's to shame. Ex- that's exactly what I was going to say. We all talk about how many liters of water it takes to make a pair of jeans and all these sorts of things, but. That's wild. And I mean, a pair of jeans is a much larger garment. It's a much larger item. One carat of diamond is 127 gallons of water. 577 litres. <laughs> that dead silence that you heard there wasn't a problem with the production. No, <laughs> it was just my mouth dropping to the floor. That, 577 litres, did you say? For a, yeah, for a carat. For a carat. One single carat of natural diamond 143 pounds of carbon dioxide released into the atmosphere as well that's that's insane wow that's insane so the likes of like it's like a short haul tiffany flight. and de beers and all of the de beers and all these diamond people their carbon offsetting has got to be through the roof well they've got to plant a million trees yeah every day every second okay. yeah it's just wild i'd be interested to know actually what they do yeah, I feel like that's something that we could look and up, Swarovski. actually. Swarovski diamonds? No. Yeah, the crystals. The crystals. The crystals. But I don't know what the difference is in terms of Yeah, because you, you still mine crystals. Yeah. I've got a great quote here as well. So the handprint is just as important as the footprint. Taking care of people also means taking care of the environment, and that's from Livia Firth, while hosting a roundtable on the future of the diamond supply chain. I think we don't think enough about the people involved. Mm. And it's, it goes back to something that we have said since the start of the podcast. People are the most important part of sustainability for me. I think people, mm-hmm. obviously, it goes without saying people and planet, but people. people make the decisions. We're the ones creating the items. We're the ones making the decisions and deciding where to spend our money. So if we're looking after the people creating the actual product right at the ground, the people mm-hmm. who are in the communities in the areas, then... The ethics are starting right from the first point of the supply chain. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about responsible jewellery and being a little bit more ethical with production because this is such a big topic we could literally talk for hours on it. Yeah. And I think it could end up being quite a a lengthy episode if we do carry on. But I'm going to clip some topics down so that we can keep it concise. So I want to talk a little bit about the Responsible Jewellery Council and what it is that they do. So their whole ethos is to advance responsible, ethical, social and environmental practices within the industry, which is so important. Mm. I think we often forget about things like human rights and the ethics associated with the people side of things. And their whole aim is to do that throughout the diamond, gold and platinum metal jewellery supply chain as well. So it's got, it extends further yeah, than just diamonds. You forget. The metals. It is not, it's not just about the stones itself. I was actually, didn't actually mention this to you, I was actually on a judging panel last year for Monica, Monica Vinader's. They had a competition where you entered as a jeweller and it was a sustainability project. So 
you pitched some jewellery and I had to link around sustainability because Monica Finnegan is actually, as a brand and also as a person, is leading the accessible jewellery market because they're like high-end, high street, I'd say. Yeah, I like that. That's, yeah. that's definitely their place in the market. Yeah, so they're leading that section of, of the market Cause when it comes to sustainability. The whole collection is now from recycled. Now, from now, it's all of their gold is recycled. Oh, the gold is recycled now? Yeah. Oh, I knew that all of the silver that was made. Yeah, so I think it was pieces. from 20, 2022, so which is now, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just checking. It's all recycled. <laughs> also, like I've been to Monica's office and they've done a lot to make it environmentally focused and friendly. She lives and breathes what she talks about. And that's what I think we need to see more of across the industry mm. We've spoken about things like companies making sustainability pledges, but if they're not actually enforcing it in the office and making these things part of what the staff and the employees are thinking about in their daily practices, yeah. you're not encouraging people to be better within their daily lives. So then when they're talking about, oh my God, I'm the sustainability officer, they don't know what that means. Mm. And so many more departments are popping up. You've got a lot Same of sustainability departments now. Diversity officers. Yeah. <laughs> That's a whole nother topic. Mm. But um, yeah, so the Responsible Jewellery Council, I think it's so important to have some sort of council overseeing what it is that these miners are doing and trying to get people to sign up to pledge to be more ethical and to mm. stick to that. It's like having a B Corp certification. Yeah. For me, if you're if you're signing up to do that, then you know what you're pledging to. If you mm -hmm. know what you're doing as a company and you have to do these things yeah. because you can't say that you're B Corp certified and then just be some any skaggy company not like doing whatever <laughs> the hell you want because you'll lose your certification and it takes a really long time to get it. Yeah. So one company that is doing that is Greenland Ruby and they've only been mining since 2017 but they're the first coloured gemstone miner to join the Responsible Jewellery Council. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so a pretty young company. Yeah. But I think that this backs up something that we've always said. Yeah, it's <laughs> easier to start something with sustainable focus than to go back and like make it sustainable. Because yeah. what is it? It's when you're changing a supply chain, it's much harder and mm. much more costly to change your entire supply chain and all your production and all of that than it is to just start afresh. Yeah. Big time. So the article talks a lot about traceability and accountability, and these are huge, huge things. So I want to go back and talk about that a little bit. Because mining gemstones is a really long and complicated process. One, neither of us are particularly educated to speak on. <laughs> but one thing I really do want to talk about is that, as I said, the traceability and accountability side of the diamond mining industry. It's hard. It's really, really hard to trace a supply chain of diamonds. Mm. I didn't know this till I was doing a bit of reading around the topic. Unethical practices are just wild. And that's what sets a lot of like black market stuff and sets the prices to skyrocket and the lack of ethics associated with precious metals and gemstones is just bizarre. So it means that everything's inflated. Yeah. What is difficult about this is that this is like a really basic thing to say, but diamonds are so beautiful. So it's really easy to not think about the dark side of mm -hmm. jewellery when it's so pretty and sparkly and it fills you with so much joy and excitement because you've been given an engagement ring or a pair of earrings for your birthday, whatever it might be. But when you don't think about, and you don't have to, we say this, so you don't have to think about where it's come from, mm -hmm. but it's not spoken about. Some of the biggest household names 
that we buy from the big houses that we see influencers working with and posting about and we probably own as well you know we're not excluding ourselves from this have a very dark past and and also present Mm. and it's really easy it's similar to greenwashing it's really easy to disguise it because you can put your sustainability pledge on on your website and you can talk about pay and like it the legalities are quite easy to like get around mm-hmm. when it comes to language using your site. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't it's, like it. Yeah, it is. Like I said to you before we started recording, I did feel like this was going to be quite a heavy mm. episode. So I tried to keep it as short and concise as possible with this because I think it can be such a heavy topic to speak about that it can it can put you off. It can yeah. put you off. Let's talk a little bit about circularity because I think that's something that I'm talking about a lot on my own channels mm-hmm. and circularity within the diamond industry. I don't know if it's ever possible to be truly sustainable as a diamond miner or jewellery producer. I'd say no, simply because it doesn't matter how the product's made or, you know, let's take away the ethics of like the human side. If we talk about the environment, mm-hmm. you're still impacting. impacting the environment. You're mining like natural resources. To do that, you're using masses, um, massive amounts of energy. The look yeah. at that stat that provided at the beginning. And it's extremely wasteful. And if we think, just think about gemstone mining, a majority of gems, unless they are lab made, they are going to be really using energy. But then also, what's interesting... Isn't lab-grown? Yeah, that I was just about to say. Lab-grown diamonds also will produce a lot of energy because it's they're pressure-based. Do you know when they say diamonds make... Pressure pressure makes makes diamonds. diamonds. Yeah. Like, that's literally what lab-grown diamonds are. It's just, like, lots and lots of pressure, and then, boom, diamond gets made. Not that quickly. But... um, (laughs) I wish. (laughs) I have spoken to Kimai about this before, actually, and... There are ways to counteract the amount of energy that you're using and to make it less of an impact. But obviously, energy is energy. Yeah. I think it comes down to the business model as well. Mm. Most of these companies, it is mine, design, create. I think that's kind of a very basic way of me saying it. But with the circularity side of things, it's We've spoken a lot about regeneration and what comes after being sustainable. How do you then put back instead of taking away mm. from the environment? And all right, they may not necessarily be able to regenerate a natural occurring stone, but you can add to when we spoke to, was it Bombix last mm. season? And they spoke about it with the silk production, but you can add to the area, you can add to the biodiversity of an area by growing trees or adding something so that the local people can then live off of a portion of the land. But in terms of actual product creation and design, I think brands like Monica Vinadar doing stuff like that and using old recycled, I say old, recycled silver and gold to make their pieces Mm. is a great way to utilise what's already been mined so that way we don't have to continually take from the earth. Something to add to that, I've just done a project, as you know, because she came to our press day, with Alex Monroe Jewellers, which was supporting black jewellers, mm-hmm. um, which came off the back of BLM in 2020. And there were 
16 jewelers as part of this project and we were doing workshops and all these like fantastic things to kind of help elevate them as business owners but I got to meet all of them and talk through their businesses and what they do and some of them are more traditional jewelers they like they kind of make sell e-commerce that kind of vibe well actually that's not traditional they're like modern jewelers and then a few of them are like craft artisan jewelers that make bespoke pieces and I found that side so interesting it really is there was one person I was speaking to who she was designing something for one of her clients and she didn't actually have to buy the metal because her client had a load of jewelry that she didn't want so she just melted it down and then created a new piece of jewelry from it was like three rings and a necklace I think she had so that's really nice I might have just like made those pieces of jewelry up but with her it was all about creating pieces that meant something to that person and she was able to use the resources that that person had and it really like warmed my heart because it made me think if I had I don't have that much gold jewelry unfortunately my mum a lot of her jewelry was stolen when we were younger she used to have a lot of gold and that would have been like a beautiful present of like having some of the jewelry that she doesn't really wear anymore and then making it into something that she would really love yeah that's really nice like my friend's dad was a jeweler by trade Mm -hmm. and he uses loads of stuff that he's just got there just lying around and old bits of gold and old bits Mm. of whatever and he made her a beautiful bangle for her 21st birthday like three different types of gold layered up and it was just so pretty to know that that came from something that was already there like Mm. I love the idea of using there's history in that exactly there's so much history in that there's craftsmanship in that there's there's a story there's emotion attached to a piece of jewellery and we've spoken about that before with emotion attached to items is often part of its history and its story, mm. and it's so important to us. Human beings, we need something to latch on to, man. That's how we're yeah. made. That's how we roll. <laughs> but yeah, in going on with that circularity point, resale of jewellery. Mm. Now, I was in Selfridges last week, and they've got the resale bit in Selfridges, and a lot of it was very, very beautiful, old designer, vintage jewellery. And when I'm saying vintage, I'm saying 1960s, mm. like Chanel and old YSL pieces, and incredible things that you wouldn't even be able to source now. Just incredible pieces, but... I think John Lewis do that as well. Yeah, they do, but theirs isn't resale, it's vintage that they're selling. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. There's the vintage side of it, and then there's the actual side that they're doing in Selfridges where people... You can almost, bring in your almost own. consignment, I believe. Oh, interesting. And you can sell your pieces, like, but it's I think it's very, very high-end things that you can sell. I don't think you'll feel like you could just go in there and buy like this season's Gucci, whatever, mm. high street jewellery and go and resell it. I think it has to be a certain criteria. But I love the idea of being able to buy something that has a history. Mm-hmm. And I always used to do that when I was younger. Like, again, talking, we spoke before in another episode about going and shopping in markets. Like when I'm abroad, I always used to, or when I was abroad, I used to always shop in those little like silver markets. Mm, same. And yeah, and shop from like the local makers. I came across a couple of pieces once where somebody used to use old stones that they found. That they bought a load of jewellery, broke up the jewellery and reused the pieces to make new designs. And to me, the idea of using what you've got to make new things is... That's that's what makes me tick. I'm a happy I person. Love it. I that. So yeah, that's really nice. I just want to mention one thing on traceability before we do move on. So world-renowned jewelers De Beers have started a program called Tracer. 
So it's designed to create a passport for each stone that's mined, which I think is great. And it leads back to that ethics that we were talking mm. about and being able to track every item from the start to the finish. So from mine to retail. That's interesting because yeah. don't De Beers own like 90% of all the diamonds in the world or mm. something. Wild. So they're now like, oh, whoops, we should probably trace those. Yeah, and <laughs> smaller operations are championing responsible mining as well, which is great. So a China-based Fuli gemstones, I believe they're called, owns the largest peridot deposit in the world. The company takes an all-round sustainable approach, working with the Responsible Jewellery Council's Dragonfly Initiative to provide full traceability from the point at which the stone is extracted from the earth right up until the cutting and polishing. Mm. So they're trying to implement traceability at every point of the supply chain process. And I think that's amazing. Mm. We need more companies pushing this. We yeah. need more initiatives to be pushed on also, these big jewellers. not just on jewellery. That can be everything. done in, in fashion as well. Yeah, absolutely everything. I think mm. when you're held accountable, you have to be better. Yeah. So now moving on to the next portion of the episode, we're going to be speaking with Jessica Watch, co-founder and CEO of Kimai. Jessica, it's a real pleasure to be speaking with you. Can you tell us a bit about Kimai and more so your journey in the diamond industry? Because I know that you've got quite an interesting background. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, everyone. I'm Jess. I'm the co-founder of Kimai. We're a lab-grown diamond and recycled gold fine jewelry brand. We've been around now for about three years. And how we came about with the brand is basically my co-founder and myself both grew up in Antwerp in Belgium to diamond trading families. So for those of you who don't know, but Antwerp is the diamond center of the world. So that's where most of the diamond trade happens. So we've grown up around diamonds and jewelry our entire life and just felt that the industry never evolved with us as a younger generation in terms of transparency. We're customers that are looking more and more into the brands they're buying from, asking more questions. And on top of it, really connect more closely with the brands we're buying into and looking at the fine jewelry and diamond industry we couldn't find any transparency at all and on top of it a very outdated and traditional experience so that's us in a nutshell it's amazing because as i was saying I, i knew that you guys both had background like you grew up in the diamond industry like from traditional families in terms of mining and things so it's It's interesting to see that you guys have stuck with what you know in terms of creating your business, but just looked at a completely different and better business model and way of actually mining while creating diamonds. So could you tell us a little bit more about what it is that Kimai are doing to further responsible jewellery creation? Of course. So the mining industry is an industry that hasn't known any transparency over the past hundreds of years. It's an industry that firstly has many middlemen, so it's close to impossible to know where the diamonds you're buying are coming from. And on top of it, the negative impact of mining, the social impact of it as well, just didn't feel right anymore. So we've tried to figure out a way to bring more transparency to the market without having to trade off on quality or design. Because we felt that today, if you want high-end pieces, straight away you'll have those new Bond Street jewelers where you'll find unique design, high-quality pieces, but it directly comes at a crazy price point and without any transparency. And then if you want more approachable pieces, you'll have to trade off on quality or design. And 
in the entire spectrum of that industry. Like it's really close to impossible to know where those diamonds come from, even talking to diamond traders directly. So that was what we were worried about mostly is that we knew those diamond traders directly and couldn't get any answer, couldn't get any transparency. There was a lot of closed doors when we were asking just simple questions. So Kimai is using lab-grown diamonds only in all the pieces we make. So lab-grown diamonds are basically chemically and physically identical to mine stones, but without the social environmental impact of mining. Thanks to technology, we're able to replicate the mining environment in the lab and get diamonds that are exactly the same. So we see it as kind of like a newly discovered mine and we're able to offer the exact same pieces, quality, and everything that comes with the importance of a piece of jewelry, but at a smaller cost to the planet and the people living on it. I think it's so interesting because for me, I didn't know what lab-grown diamonds were until probably year before last. And Mm -hmm. earlier on in the episode, we were talking about lab-grown diamonds just a touch because obviously... Charlotte's engagement ring is from yourselves. It's from Kimai. We were talking talking about lab-grown diamonds and how they're made because I didn't know how they were made. Can you explain a little bit about it? Because for me, I was just like, but that's essentially how diamonds are made without the, the, but it's chemically done or done in a lab and stuff. So can you explain a little bit about it for those that don't have any idea? Of course. So a diamond is basically made 100% out of carbon. So there's nothing else in a diamond than carbon. And under earth, it's grown into a high pressure and high temperature environment. So it's basically the same in the lab. So we're starting from a diamond seed. The first one came from a mine diamond. And now those diamond seeds come from lab grown diamond. And from there, you add it into a machine with high pressure, high temperature, and in a few weeks, that seed grows into a diamond. When you say it like that, it's like you're literally growing something. It's like a plant. We often compare it to like water in an iceberg or water in a fridge. Yeah. A freezer. Basically, same environment, but different locations, right? It's it's just so interesting. I mean, for me, I geek out on all of this stuff because I think the science behind how innovations are coming about in this industry And the science behind it is what's making it so, so cool. And also, it's the first time that that industry has seen any innovation at all, because it's really an industry that hasn't evolved over the past hundreds of years in every way. Like they market their product in the same way they were marketing it to our great grandparents. So there's a long way to go. And that's why it's even more exciting because for the first time ever, something is happening. And also I think like we talk a lot with different brands about impact, sustainability, etc. And talking to brands, their biggest struggle is that whenever they want to offer a more sustainable piece, it directly comes at a premium and they see customers struggle to really make that switch early on. And with Lab Grand Diamond, what is amazing is that for the first time, you'll get a more sustainable piece but at a cheaper price. And I think it's important to say as well that the FTC has changed the definition of a diamond by taking the word natural out of it. Like every big labs are grading those diamonds in the exact same way as they would grade mine diamonds. So there's a lot of steps that have come since launch that have definitely helped give the industry more credibility because it's definitely a learning curve to understand what it means. But as soon as you've got the information available, I feel like there's no way going back. 
I'm glad you mentioned that because that kind of leads on very nicely to the next thing that I'm going to ask you about. But you've mentioned transparency and how transparency is very hard at each stage. And it is hard because when there's so many people involved, how do you manage that and how do you monitor that? But when it comes to sustainability and maybe and diamonds, do you think that it's ever going to be possible for sustainability to really be ingrained in the diamond industry? Do you think they'll ever become synonymous? I think so. I think any industry needs to start going that way because otherwise I often say that we're like the generation that weren't conscious when we were born or grew up and we're kind of still aren't 100% we're like educating ourselves so like even as a brand and as a person yeah we're not 100% sustainable like we're getting there and it's a process and it takes time and in the world we live in it's impossible to be from one day to another 100% because otherwise you don't live in the cities we're living in. But then when you look at the younger generation, for them, it's a given, like it shouldn't even be an option. So that's why we definitely think that it's going towards that direction and that there's no choice for any brand, any industry, any sector to take a step to try to do better and be more sustainable. So for the diamond industry, same, like we think how we see it is three years ago when we started, no one knew what labyrinth diamonds were. No one knew what it actually meant, like the impact of mining, etc. And there's been so much more education over the past few years. And customers are also becoming more and more conscious. When we started, most people around us didn't even ask any questions, didn't even know what it meant being sustainable. But things are changing and there's no way going back like we see it with in any way like with what's going on in the world with the climate and stuff like we need to adapt and we need to figure out ways to be more ethical and more sustainable 100% I totally agree with you as you said it's a process and it's something that you can't I think when you look at established businesses and Charlotte and I have said this time and time again on this podcast when you look at the supply chain of any industry It's harder to do it when you're established. It's harder to then go back and make those changes and make a company more ethical, more sustainable and without implementing some sort of cost. And I think that's where it comes, essentially. A lot of businesses don't want to, who haven't made that change, not who don't want to, who haven't yet made those changes. It's because of the cost and completely they're going to have to overhaul everything that it is that they do in order to be more sustainable or to have those ethical practices put in. Earlier on in the episode, we actually mentioned a statistic which has really blown both of our minds a little bit. So it said that for each carat of natural diamond mined, companies move up to 250 tonnes of earth, use 127 gallons of water and release 143 pounds of carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. So when you think about the environmental impact, that's grave like it's insane to think that that's how much for each single carrot and when we both sat there we thought about it we were like a carrot's like nothing it's nothing when you think about it in the grand scheme of things and there's all this forget the monetary value associated to that just Mm. now when you look at the environmental impact associated with that it makes it more of a dire situation are you able to give us any sort of stats on lab-grown diamonds and how they are better in terms of their environmental impact yeah so For us, with the lab we work closely with, we estimate that to grow one carat uh, lab-grown diamond, it takes 
approximately as much energy as like a household in the UK for a week, like their energy usage. And we're in the process again of calculating as well. Like we want to calculate our carbon emission. We're working with a lab that's used mostly renewable energy, but they're getting 200%. They get the right certification, SCS certification, etc. So I think it's uncomparable. And on top of just focusing on the environmental impact, it's uncomparable to make a diamond in a lab compared to digging a diamond out of earth. And what we've seen is the social impact. And we see it even more with now with like the war in Ukraine and Russia before there were those South and still is those South African diamonds that were sponsoring a lot of wars. Now it's with Russian Basically, Russia, there's one company that supplied 30% of the world's mine diamonds. And same, they're like a big company in Russia that works closely with the government. And so we see customers like really looking for alternative. You don't want to be linked and you don't want your special moment to be linked with those people or those organizations. So I think there's those different perspectives for sure. And it's all of them coming together that makes it even more important, that diamond is something you're going to get or buy yourself for a very special moment. Does it need to come with all that story that has had a negative impact on people on earth? And I think also what is interesting is like the price of diamonds is one of the only industry that isn't set based on supply and demand. It's really a product that has been greatly marketed and with only a few players that control the whole market and that can set their high prices because actually the real people at the source, they're paid less than a few cents to get those stones out where what costs most is really just the markup that is being done from the seller to the buyer. So yeah, so I think like we're still looking and we're still learning ourselves, as I said, like we're not 100% sustainable. We don't 100% have all the answers, but what is important for us is being able to see where those diamonds are made. So like we visit those labs, being able to talk to people and make sure the working environment is safe, making sure that we're on a path to get to renewable energy, etc. And on top of it, really making sure everyone's paid fairly and that no one's armed in the process. That's fantastic because I think that that is, as we always say, it's people and planet. So it's mm-hmm. so important to be looking after the people in those communities yeah. as well. Because as you said, there is a long, long history of exploitation and poverty in these areas. So it's really important to see and impressive, I should say, also to see that, be it by us all moving towards a more ethical practice, that those communities will benefit from that. And that's that's what it's all about at the end of the day. Yeah, and one can go without the other, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's an exciting time and it's definitely a time where everyone's rethinking ways things are done. So a lot of things coming up, hopefully for the better. Thank you so much, Jessica, for joining us. That was a really great chat. I keep feeling like I'm learning loads on this season. I feel like my own knowledge is so much better. Like my knowledge of the topic before we speak about it is better. Yeah. And then I'm still learning, which is so 
I guess also it's because we've changed the format, so we've kind of forced the education side. Onto ourselves. Onto ourselves, which I actually really, really enjoy. It's forcing me to read articles. Yeah, definitely. And like to try and one-up you every every week. Yeah. <laughs> a little bit of friendly competition. Friendly going. competition, never heard nobody. <laughs> but thank you so much, Jessica. I really, really enjoyed that. Moving on to the final part of this episode, mm. the Sustainably Influenced Sustainability Score. Whoop, whoop. The, the, the jingle change. Yeah, the jingle change. It's not a jingle <laughs> if you change it every week, mate. <laughs> You're the one changing it. <laughs> so what do we think in terms of sustainability for the mining industry? Given everything that we've learned today and about the initiatives, given the changes that are being made, ethical practices being instilled, I'm not going to say anything, but what do you think? I'm going to give it a five, middle ground, because there's a lot of improvement to be made. Yep. I was going to say, I feel like it's a moving scale. Mm. I feel like they're still operating maybe around a three. I'd like to see them get to a seven. But I think as time goes on and more changes that are made in the industry, we'll be able to give it a definitive ranking yeah. and score. It is a moving scale. It's ever evolving. It also depends. Like I'll give it a five, but that's like some brands. Yeah. It, it definitely depends on who we're talking about. So I think, yeah. yeah. Definitely. A lot to be considered here. Yeah. I think it's such an interesting topic and it's so wide and so vast that we've barely scratched the surface yeah. on this topic. So I think it's one that we could probably come back to season after season and have way more to talk about each yeah. time. Let's come back to this in a year and see where we're at. Yeah. Because it'd be interesting to see. Actually, be able to measure that as yeah, well. Yeah, let's make a note of everything that's said that was going to be done, especially with like De Beers. Yeah. And then see in a year's time where we're at. Yeah, I like that idea. Oh my God, someone remind us in a year. <laughs> yeah, I want I want one of our audience to be like, it's been a year, so could <laughs> you do another episode on the diamond industry, please? Yep, sure, we will do that. But thank you so much for joining us. And until next time. Until next week. See ya. Laters. <laughs>